CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to The Mining Pod. On today's show, we're joined by Lee Bratcher of the Texas Blockchain Council and Brian Morgenstern of Riot Platforms to discuss the EIA's overreach and data collection on Bitcoin mining operations in the United States. We talk about the political motivations for the overreach, what the judge said in its recent ruling and setback for the EIA, and what the next few weeks looks like for this order. We'd like to thank CleanSpark, America's Bitcoin miner, for making this show possible on the Coindesk Podcast Network. You'll hear a little more from CleanSpark later in today's episode. Before we jump into the episode, we'd like to push people to go check out the Blockspace Podcast Network on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you find podcasts. We have the Mining Pod, Gordy Show and Bitcoin Season 2 on there. All things Bitcoin, Bitcoin tech, or Bitcoin mining related. So if you like this content, there's a good chance that you will like that content as well. Also go check out Blockspace.media. On Blockspace.media, you can find all those shows, plus other original content from ZK Hardware, all the way to stuff on the Bitcoin happening coming up here. So go check that out. Let's jump into the podcast now. Welcome back to the Mining Pod. On today's show, we have Lee Bratcher and Brian Morgenstern. Welcome both to the show. We've had you guys both on the show before, but we got something coming up with the EIA right now. So we're going to delve right back into it. Uh, Lee, Brian, welcome. Thanks for having us on. Cool. So we'll do a little background since you know normal listeners of the show definitely know who you guys are. Uh, but for the Coinus Podcast Network out there, we'll get a quick bio on both you guys and then dig into the subject matter, which is the EIA overreach, as I'll put it. Uh, I know you guys will will probably have your own words and uh, descriptors for this, uh, but lead first to you. President of the Texas Blockchain Council, we are a trade association. There are about 95 corporate members and Riot is one of those members. And we um, have been working with our mining committee and with Riot to craft this legal argument along with our council, um, Gray Reed out of uh, Texas and the New Civil Liberties Alliance in DC. So it's a little bit about uh, us and how we got here. And I'm Brian Morgenstern. I'm the head of public policy for Riot Platforms. Um, I joined the company a little over a year ago. Uh, prior to that, had worked uh, in government for a lot of my career on Capitol Hill in the beginning, and then uh, at the U.S. Treasury Department and at the White House um, during the Trump administration. Uh, also a lawyer and practiced law in New York uh, for many years. And uh, now with this present issue, it's, I think you phrased it right, Will, it's pushing back on government overreach. Uh, So very happy to be working with Lee. I'm also a board member of the Texas Blockchain Council as well. And then 
I think getting involved in the case or and supporting our position is the Chamber of Digital Commerce. And I also represent Riot on the executive committee of that trade association as well. So, um, but obviously both groups represent a lot more than just Riot. It's really sort of industry-wide representation in this case. Definitely. I want to get into that in a bit because it does seem like Riot's sort of on the front of this issue along with the TBC and the Digital Chamber of Commerce. Uh, so we'll get to that a little bit later in the show. But let's first introduce the topic, which was this EIA overreach. Brian, I'll throw it right back to you to sort of introduce the subject. What has been happening over the last four to eight weeks with this uh, new notice from the EIA? Sure. So uh, end of January, beginning of February, uh, the Energy Information Administration issued a notice. That is a agency that falls within the Department of Energy, the U.S. Department of Energy. And they sent, uh, basically announced this by press release. And then we actually didn't receive a notice from them until I think it was February 9th thereabouts, uh, giving us two weeks to respond to a survey that they issued on an emergency basis. And I'm going to use big air quotes around the word emergency because they've declared that uh, because it gets cold sometimes and the price of Bitcoin has been rising lately, that they think there's a grid stability emergency because of Bitcoin miners. Uh, to, to be clear, there is no emergency. Um, Using a very recent example from Texas in January, there was some very cold weather, demand for energy rose. Uh, ERCOT actually had a very good balance of supply and demand. They're, they didn't experience any uh, extreme stability issues. But more to the point, the Bitcoin mining industry was curtailing during that time. And there was it was well publicized that... Uh, in effect, we were sort of the first arrow in the quiver to ensure that there were no stability issues. So they've declared a stability emergency against the very companies who are enhancing grid stability. So it's it, it's a farce. Um, and what they've asked for is pretty sensitive business information. Now, Raya is a public company. We have to disclose a lot of information because we're an SEC filer. We're not afraid of transparency. Our industry itself is radically transparent. It's sort of one of the fundamental values of Bitcoin. And as a result of that, the government actually has all the information they need to know that we are enhancing stability and we're not causing stability problems. Um, so they're trying to get all the specifications of our machines. They're trying to get at some confidential contractual information regarding power deals that uh, you know can depend on market conditions. Um, it's information that should not be disclosed because it's sensitive competitive information that would put us at a disadvantage if it's publicized in the US and around the world. And the government has said, we're going to penalize you with criminal penalties unless you hand over all your sensitive business information, which by the way, we intend to publish on our government website. Um, I, I don't think this has ever been done before. It is insane. It's definitely illegal. They've completely steamrolled over the process that they're required to follow. And so that's why we're bringing this suit to say, your justification for an emergency is obviously pretextual. This is driven by some uh, fringe political actors who want to attack Bitcoin companies however they can. About a year ago, we experienced pressure for 
banks to start debanking digital asset companies. I see this as an extension of that, a different version of an operation choke point where they're saying, we're going to publish all your energy information and then try to get energy companies to stop working with you among the other competitive harm that they would cause. So um, it, it's just an all out political assault having nothing to do with an actual emergency. So that's why we're bringing the suit to force the government to follow the law and go back to the drawing board. If they want to collect some information, they can do a notice and comment period. We can explain our position and we can go from there, but they're not allowed to declare a fake emergency to cause harm to our business. So that's, that's the probably too long answer, but the quick and dirty of what this case is about. Lee, anything to add there? And then I'm also curious from TBC's position, how you guys saw this, if there's any structural differences between how, how Riot sees this. You know, actually, Brian did a great job summarizing that. And I, I don't think we saw it differently at all. In fact, many of our members uh, and close to all of them saw it the same way. And so we have the full backing of the membership to pursue this uh, action, the full backing of the board of directors. And uh, as you saw in the TRO that was issued on Friday, the judge and his clerks saw the same thing that we did, which was gross overreach and a politicization of an industry that's pretty benign, typically. Like the EIA has traditionally just measured information and data around energy generation, energy transmission, very rarely seeking information about consumers of energy because um, you should be agnostic to the purpose of the end use of the electricity. Um, and so that's, you know, I had a conversation with someone at the EIA who admitted to me that they have never done anything like this before. And you put that in, um, in tandem with Elizabeth Warren's comments. Senator Warren was on record saying to Secretary Granholm, she didn't want the secretary to be back in front of her without this information. So essentially putting a time pressure. I think she even used the word TikTok and pointed to her clock, right? So, uh, or her watch. And that is essentially why they created this uh, sloppy uh, administrative action that failed to comply with statute on a number of different fronts. And our legal team discovered, I think, Brian, maybe it was three or four different um you know, any one of which would have been sufficient for us to, to receive a TRO, a restraining order, uh, but there were several. Yeah. And one, one other point I would add to that. So, and, and the, the record is very clear, as you said, that, you know, Senator Warren's been banging the drum for this, putting political pressure on the Secretary of Energy to get this. And that's, that's the real emergency is political pressure. But uh, under the law, there has to be uh, public harm. And there, Bitcoin mining is not causing any public harm. That's obvious to anyone uh, who, who is fair-minded about this. Um, but one other important point to add is we already know why they want the information. Because in September of 2022, the White House had issued uh, a, a statement, a document that said they believe the government should collect this information. And then once they do, they should explore ways to limit or eliminate Bitcoin mining in the United States. Uh, I'm paraphrasing, but the words limit or eliminate were the words uh, from a White House statement. So it, that to me uh, tells everyone exactly what you need to know. They're not, this is not some benign, like, let's just ask some questions. They're starting with the conclusion that they want. 
which is to hurt our industry. And now they're just fishing for justification to do that. I mean, that is, I don't want to be too overly dramatic about it, but it reminds me of an old Soviet saying like, show me the man and I'll find you the crime. Like that's kind of what we're dealing with here. They started with the result and now they're just trying to justify it. Um, that's not the way the government's supposed to work. They're not allowed to lie to you to extort information that they want to weaponize against you. That's not how this is supposed to work. And especially as Lee said, with an agency whose duty it is to be neutral, to just collect information that, that is supposed to inform smart policy decisions. That's not what's happening here and it's unfair. And so that's why we're bringing the lawsuit. In the competitive world of Bitcoin mining, one name stands out, CleanSpark, America's Bitcoin miner. At CleanSpark, efficiency isn't just a goal, it's our standard. Our sophisticated facilities are built and led by expert teams who care about Bitcoin and the communities we work in. Scale, we've mastered it. Our large-scale operations have set us apart in the industry as examples of community-oriented building. Our track record speaks for itself. We navigate the complexities of the new economy with precision and with skill, continuously achieving operational milestones. Curious about how we do it? We invite you to discover the story behind CleanSpark's success at cleanspark.com. I want to go back a little bit. What was it like inside the TBC or inside Riot or any of the other bodies that you guys were working with when this started to come along? What were the wheels that were cranking inside both your guys's, uh, inside your guys's teams? And then also, I guess, the Digital Chamber of Commerce. Lee, first to you. Yeah, we actually fortuitously had a call with our Bitcoin mining uh, members around PR the day after the press release from the EIA came out. So it worked out really well. Everybody hopped on that call and it was immediately decided that we would need to, to pursue further action. Um, we are also very cognizant of the challenging narratives that our industry faces from the media. And so we're sensitive to different um, you know, media publications that wanna write the, what are they hiding type articles. Uh, and so I think disclosing more data, in fact, ERCOT came out and Will, I'll send you this, an incredible graphic from Winterstorm Heather that Brian referenced a few minutes ago that actually had hard data evidence of Bitcoin miners or large flexible loads, as ERCOT calls us, curtailing pretty accurately based upon grid demand. And, th and that's essentially price is a proxy for grid stress in all grids and especially in ERCOT where we have an energy only marketplace. Uh, and so, you know, that data coming on the heels of this EIA report, uh, it was clear to us what we had to do. And, you know, getting that data in front of the right people is going to be paramount because this isn't something that we are making up. This is not something that we are even uh, bringing to the table. It's something that an independent grid operator is bringing to the table saying, we're neither for or against Bitcoin. In fact, we don't even have an opinion on Bitcoin, but this load is good for the grid. Now, could it be better? Yes. Could we be more granular? Yes, but we are better than any other kind of load that exists. And that is saying something because, you know, loads have been around since grids have been around for, for many, many decades, right? And so, you know, ERCOT's been around for many decades. 
we are fully aware that uh, Bitcoin mining uses 2,450 megawatts of energy in Texas. And if you understand that in the right context, you know, we, we're happy to share that data. ERCOT has that data. We're happy to share that with the federal government, with the EIA. Um, if you understand that in the right context, you should look at it in a similar way that you understand how many megawatts of, of uh, batteries are on a given grid. Because we do on the demand side what batteries do on the supply side. Now we're not as as we're not as nuanced and granular as batteries are for for frequency response, but we're getting very close. And Riot actually does a great job with uh, with frequency response. And we are going to be as soon as you know. I think the the software gets there from from the software side, and he, uh, just as good as batteries are on frequency response, which is like millisecond by millisecond response to ensure that the frequency of their grid is at the right frequency. That's a little bit different than like load response, but it, it sheds, I think, even further light onto the absurdity of the argument that this is an emergency uh, because they're delaying, the, they're actually taking time away from these companies who are working to become even more responsive and even more flexible. And a, a couple points to just add to that. It's, it's not just price responsiveness, which... It can be illustrative, and this ERCOT graph, um, I think, factors in quite a bit of price responsiveness. But in addition, Riot and others do demand response programs where they have obligations to ERCOT. And sometimes price goes up and ERCOT keeps us on, even when it's a high price, uh, for balancing purposes. And of course, you know we, we're compensated for those programs because either they're turning us off and we're not mining Bitcoin, so we're sacrificing re revenue or they're keeping us on at a high price, so it's costing us. So we're compensated for that. And of course, sometimes there's grid stability and they just paid us what is in effect an insurance premium for the right to control our load. But the point is that it's 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 not only the voluntary economic curtailment, there's also uh, obligations that we have with ERCOT that we're happy to do to provide additional grid stability. And new Bitcoin miners, the, the notion that they're hanging on to here that the price of Bitcoin goes up a little bit and then the temperature goes down a little bit. And then all of a sudden you're going to have industrial scale Bitcoin mining operations popping up out of the ground like dandelions is insane. It takes years to raise the capital. You have to find the sitest location. You have to have adequate uh, uh, interconnect. You have to do interconnect studies. It has to be in, uh, in a place where you're going to have that extra uh, excess energy that's going to be able to supply a Bitcoin miner. Um, there's so many steps along the way that uh, it, it just the government's position in this case doesn't even pass the laugh test. It's just so silly, uh, and so we're we're grateful for the TRO. We we think the court was able to see through the government's position very quickly, and so we're hopeful that as the case progresses, we're going to have even more success. You guys have both brought this up that the judge kind of threw it out pretty quickly, and I don't have the comment in front of me, but there was a line that you posted Lee on Twitter. Uh, it was pretty succinct and forthright saying like, why do you guys bring this up? This is laughable. Why would the EIA do that to themselves, right? Like it's almost embarrassing that they put something forward like this that was obviously not an emergency, obviously politically motivated in the sense that it was so quick and that there's been you know a history of dialogue around this topic from one party. Why did the EIA put themselves in that position in your opinion? Well, I'll give you the quote. Well, I've got, I pulled up Twitter here. So this is from the judge, he said, the court believes that the plaintiffs are likely to succeed in showing that the facts alleged by the defendants to support an emergency request fall 
far short of justifying such an action. As a result, the, the determination likely violates the APA as arbitrary, capricious, and abuse of discretion. This finding alone is sufficient to satisfy this element of the TRO. So that one element alone, uh, not to mention the other two or three on top of that, where they violated the Paperwork Reduction Act, uh, as far as how you're supposed to do notice and comment and the length of which these surveys are supposed to be. Um, I, I think they did it because they felt the pressure. I mean, S Secretary Granholm wants to be in the good graces of Senator Warren and the Biden administration. And um, she wasn't going to be unless she did this. And I'll, I'll add one more quote from the judge. Uh, the the agency's assessment of costs in this case, and that this would just be simple and easy and not a big deal. Uh, the agency's position is uh, extremely inaccurate, if not grossly misleading. Um, so pretty, a pretty devastating ruling for the administration, in my opinion. Definitely. I want to go to Riot for a moment, kind of zoom out and talk about how you guys have been thinking about the legal side of things for a bit now. Uh, Brian, you came into Riot, I believe, about two years ago. Um, you can correct me if I'm wrong. And Riot has obviously been pretty forthright about putting forth language. You guys are going to be lobbying on behalf of the industry, putting money into this. Um, and with this, you guys were kind of at the forefront of it alongside the TBC and Digital Chamber of Commerce. Can you tell us sort of why? Why is Riot going about this when you know there's other gigawatts of load on the Texas grid for Bitcoin mining? Like, why is Riot focusing on this? Because Riot believes strongly that uh, an investment in public policy and advocacy uh, is not just good for Riot; it's it's good for the industry as a whole. As a whole, we want our business and others like us to thrive in the United States. So it is critically important. Uh, we also have obligations to our investors. We want our company to thrive uh, because we believe in it passionately. And we also want our, our investors to benefit. That means we have to have a safe environment to operate in. So we have to be seeing around corners. We have to see these threats coming. Um, it, it, this announcement by the administration was a bit of a surprise to some, not to us. We saw it coming. We were prepared to deal with it and to push back if necessary um, because the investment in these public policy efforts is critically important for our business. And, and, we're, and we're happy to be industry leaders on it. Um, you know, come on into the pool, the water's warm, join us uh, in the fight. Um, but because we had done the investment in advance, um, I haven't quite been here two years, but uh, more than one year and, um, and less than two more than one, less than two, but um, really kind of hit the ground running in learning what are the pain points? What are the sensitivities? What could they do next? I, I want to play chess, not checkers. And that's kind of the way we, we think of this. To have a long-term, long good business environment for our company, we have to be engaged and talking to the policymakers, seeing threats, seeing opportunities, um, and, and making sure that we have as good a business environment as we can get. We're, we have our you know, large operations in Texas. We're happy and proud to be there. We have operations in Colorado as well. We're happy to be there. We, we wanna make sure that our employees are gonna succeed and that you know, their families are gonna thrive for many years to come. And investing in these public policy issues is part of the way, part of the way to do that. Let's go into some details with the last few minutes here and kind of talk about 
what would be the repercussions if some of these things got out? So I noticed machine types, coordinates for facilities, energy types. What are some other things within this order that the EIA was trying to push through that would be detrimental to the Bitcoin mining business? Uh, maybe we can go through those things and then list some others. Lee, I'll throw it to you first. Yeah, I think the, the biggest concern for me was the contractual partners, the energy partners that they were wanting. That's an easy way for Senator Warren to bully a company that has more exposure to politics, like an energy company, to end their contractual relationships with Bitcoin miners. Um, so she should not have that information. And, you know, she's proved time and that she is not uh, a faithful steward of confidential information like that. So um, even with even if the EIA were to say, we'll keep all this information confidential, uh, we would still want to limit the questions to what is authorized by statute, what is legal, uh, what we should provide to them, which is information about energy consumption. We're happy to do that. Um, but you know, even if they keep it, uh, claim to keep it confidential, freedom of information requests could come through or it could be leaked. Uh, and so that, that's that's really no safeguard at all. Um, and so that's that's some areas of concern. I think the other uh, main area of concern is is more almost constitutional, if you will. It's like can can the government compel this kind of information from private businesses? And what kind of precedent is that setting? Um, and it's not a good one. I'll tell you that it's it's one in which the state has. Um, kind of a mon monopoly on information and, and that's not, not a healthy democracy. I, I would say, well, yeah, you, you touched on a couple of important points, which is like specifications regarding all of our like mining rigs. I mean, why on earth does the U S department of energy have the authority to have, they can't possibly have that authority. It's supposed to be gathering information about energy generation, distribution, et cetera. Um, that, the specific locations and things is, is troublesome and then combine that with uh it, you know some of the energy contracts are confidential because market conditions change different customers at different scale at different points in time might have different uh price negotiations th things like that i mean there's perfectly rational competitive reasons why some of this information would not be public um and as a you know a publicly traded company we're obligated to keep information that is not supposed to be public, uh, private. And, and here they are asking us to submit some of the sensitive information, just like over an open email server, that's not even protected. Like that would violate our obligations under sec rules and regulations. So, um, it, there's a whole bunch of reasons why this is troublesome. Another one is compliance costs. The government estimated that it would take everybody half an hour to, to do this. I mean, it takes you more than half an hour just to read the, the demand, um, let alone figure out what it means, whether it is legally authorized, how to respond appropriately. There are a bunch of terms that are basically undefined that we have to guess at what they mean. I mean, th this whole thing was done so poorly. Um, it, it's absolutely going to cause, you know, irreparable harm to the companies for compliance costs and competitive harm. Um, it's it, it's a it's a huge problem. It's unfortunate, and I think almost equally as important is the fact that they already said what they want to do with the information, which is that they're not just collecting it out of the goodness of their hearts; they want to collect it and use it against us. So, who in their right minds 
would just kind of like shrug and go along with that. You know, you have to respond strongly and push back. And if they come after, they can do this to us. They can do this to any industry. They decide they just don't like them. And that's, that's not consistent with a free society, I think. Okay. Last question leave with you guys. About 10 months out or less from that, maybe six months out from the election. Why was this push forward during election year? Do you think that has anything to do with anything or am I just looking into this too much? just seemed like something that they didn't need to do at this moment, but it is an election year. People make odd decisions during election years. Do you guys see anything there or not so much? Senator Warren has a lot of influence uh, in the Biden administration. And if the election goes the other way this time, she's not going to have that kind of influence in the second Trump administration. So she is trying to get this done while she, while they still, while the administration's answering her phone calls. Um, so I, I think there is, I think the political pressure is the real quote unquote emergency in this case, and obviously has nothing to do with public harm. Interesting. Okay. Well, we'll leave the conversation there today. Lee, Brian, thank you so much for joining. Where can we follow along with the story as it progresses? I'm assuming TBC website, there's an email list. Uh, maybe there's some place with Riot as well that we can follow along. Sure. Uh, my my Twitter, I'm trying to keep it up to date with all the developments, which is Morgan Stern NJ. Um, so you can find me there uh, and we'll, we'll try to keep it as up to date as possible as things develop. Yeah, just our newsletter is is the best, TexasBlockchainCouncil.org. Awesome. Well, we're hoping for the best in this situation. Thank you guys for jumping on the podcast and explaining this out to everyone. Lee, Brian, we'll talk with you guys again soon. Thanks a lot. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. You can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade or at least grab an extra latte after getting a Chime checking account with features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe, no minimum balance requirements, and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com slash goals24. That's chime.com slash goals24. Chime feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. SpotMe eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply.